Take your Bibles, if you would, and open them to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Yes, there really is a book called Ezekiel, and we're going to look in chapter 37 in just a few minutes. So how are you this morning? Everybody doing okay? Good, good. Everybody fine? Did you find a good parking place when you got here? Were you able to park and we were close enough to the building to get in and were there greeters? Did you have, were there, how many of you were greeted by someone as you came in the door? Good. You got, you were greeted, so you felt welcomed. Okay, good, good, good. Signage okay? You could find the restrooms, the sanctuary, good signage on the walls. Those of you that had preschoolers, you knew where the preschool rooms were. Everything good? Okay, good, 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 good. Did you find the bulletins as you came in, the connections? Everybody got one? Yeah? Did you look in there? Boy, I tell you what, there's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, I mean, we are a busy church. Look at all of that, you know? And uh, this print's kind of small in some places. Maybe we could work on that. But um, Some folks would like to have it in color, but we're trying to kind of save a little money, so every now and then we do it in color, but most of the time it's just in black and white. Do you think there's enough balance between words and pictures? And here's not too many pictures, are there? I mean, is it, do you feel like it's pretty good? You know, those of you that are guests of ours, are you able to kind of see who we are and what's important to us? And that's good, that's good. And the little thing on the end with the little perf, we actually pre-perfed it for you so you can just kind of, you know, tear it right off. That's pretty little nice thing. Good. How about the people you're sitting around? Were you, were you greeted? Did you greet each other? Did you say good morning? Do you feel like you're welcomed here? You feel comfortable? Good. Temperature okay? All right. Lighting good for you? You can see everything you need to see? Okay. Good. 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 All right. Just want to make, make sure everything is, is fine. Now, how about the music? The music was, was it okay? Did you enjoy it? The, some of the songs you probably knew better than others, but, you know, it was good, and the announcements were done in a fairly timely manner, and except for that guy that stood up and talked too long about the upcoming events, but... Um, so you felt good about that, right? Okay, good. Service feels good. You feel like God's here. You're worshiping, you know, okay. Good, 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 good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, what about that offering thing? I mean, those of you that are guests here, was it kind of weird that we actually passed around a basket and expected you to put money into it? Did that seem kind of odd to you or uncomfortable to anybody? You know, um, maybe it would have been better if we'd had a little box out in the lobby or something so you could have dropped your money in there. And, and, and what about that thing that's fixing to happen now, that thing we call the, the sermon, or maybe it's already started. We're not really sure. Um, are you a little nervous about what's going to be said and, and what you're going to hear and how you're going to feel about it? You know, there are just, just so many things you have to think about when you're looking for a church that is healthy. And, 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 and I have shelf after shelf of books in my office on uh, how to have a healthy church and everything from the way you plan your financial plans to the way you do the, 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 the signage in your building to where the guest greeters stand to how you do your parking, whether you should have people in the parking lot to welcome people or not and, and, and how many parking spaces and how much space between people on the pew you need to have and so many things to think about. And if you're looking for a church home, there's just so many different factors. Good child care, you feel like your kids are safe. All those kind of things. And if any of you ever feel like God's leading you, maybe you move away or something and you need to go to another church, you've got all these things to think about. And finally, you have to ask yourself, so what, what really makes a church a healthy church? What makes a church strong and healthy? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Actually, we're going to talk about that over the next two years. And even though I'm only going to preach one sermon every three months on one of these nine marks of a healthy church, because we're doing these little interim studies along the way, they'll never be far out of your mind. And over the course of the next two years, 
beginning today, I had one introductory sermon back in February, beginning today, we're going to walk through these nine important marks of what a healthy church is all about. And so today, I want to start with what I believe is the most important by far of all of the marks of a healthy church. And that is the mark of what we call expositional preaching. So, okay, there you go, using those church words. We theologians, we're just like that, aren't we? Superlapsarianism and all that kind of stuff. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. Actually, expositional is not that hard of a word, if you think about it. It's based on the root expose. To expose something, to open something up so it can be seen. And so expositional preaching or teaching by its very meaning of the word is taking the Bible, opening it up so that everyone can see it and then understand what it says. In other words, it lets the Bible be the source of whatever is said from the pulpit or in the Bible study room. You say, well, isn't that the way all preaching is? Oh, no, 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 no. As a matter of fact, this message today is not an expositional message. Normally, it's, it's compared to what's called topical preaching. In topical preaching or teaching, you pick a certain topic that you want to talk about. Let's say it's love or marriage or a certain sin or maybe the fruit of the Spirit or something like that. And you take a topic and then you go to the Bible to find verses in the Bible and pull them out as, as, as information about that particular topic. And it's still biblical and that's fine to do them from, from time to time. Matter of fact, during the month of May, I'm going to be preaching a series of sermons that basically are topical sermons on the main points of what is the gospel. But that's still not really expositional because who determined what was going to be preached on? I did. I decided today we were going to preach on expositional preaching by using a sermon that's not expositional. There you go. What can I say? But I chose the topic. Now, hopefully and prayerfully, I prayed. I asked God to give me the topic and to lead me to the scripture passages he wanted me to use. So it can still be spirit-driven, spirit-led. But you see what happens is if we only do that kind of preaching and teaching, if we only teach what we like in a Bible study group, if we only preach what is comfortable to us, guess what happens? We end up being in charge. And expositional preaching and teaching says that God is going to be in charge. So when we preach through a certain book, he said, well, yeah, but you still get to pick the book. Yeah, but you know what? It ain't my book. And so I'll tell you about that just again in just a few minutes. But expositional preaching basically says we're going to open the Scripture, and as we look at it, sometimes we're going to be surprised by what it says. There are times when I'm surprised by what it says and what it teaches me. When we get to Ezekiel in just a minute, I'm going to show you something the Lord just showed me just this morning. I should have seen it earlier, but I just didn't. But expositional teaching and preaching is where we open the Bible, and verse by verse, we read it, we expose it, we examine it, and we listen to it so that we can obey it. And humble and thankful obedience to what God has told us. So the pastor, and we'll talk about this again in just a few minutes, becomes more a student and then becomes a teacher or preacher than becoming the person who has to come up with all the right ideas. Believe me, I was listening to John MacArthur in the car yesterday. You ever listen to John MacArthur? I kind of like John MacArthur. He's a pretty cool guy. He's 75 years old now. My goodness. Um, Ancient. Um, Sorry back there. Sorry. But he said, some some people ask him, why do you study so much? I mean, could you just stand up and and, and just speak? He says, I could. I could just stand up and speak out of the overflow of my own personal study over 40 or 50 years of, of pastoring. He said, but the problem is, that would be my words. And what you need to hear is God's word. What does God have to say? 
And amazingly enough, God tends to put his word right at the right place, right at the right time, just when we need to hear it. It's not just a commentary on the Bible. It's not just a talk about um, uh, maybe some kind of, of emotional thing or a contemporary issue or something like that. It is preaching that is in service to the word of God. So I want to share with you four ways in which I believe the Bible has to be central in what we do and how we teach and preach. Number one, I want to talk about the central role of the Word of God in bringing life to things that do not exist. Number two, the central role of the Word of God in actually the preaching that happens in this room from this pulpit every Sunday. Thirdly, the central role of the Word of God in sanctifying and growing us in Christ-likeness. And then lastly, what the role of the preacher is in doing God's Word. And in the process of doing that, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture passages, okay? So you may want to try to follow me. Good luck. You may want to just jot them down. We're going to use those new big offering envelopes. See, there's a reason why we bought those big offering envelopes. Because most of us don't bring notebooks to take notes in. So you've got this big offering envelope now. So you've got lots of space to write things down. So if you need to grab it and write down some verses, you can do that. Let's begin by looking at the role of the Word of God in bringing life. And the best way I know to do that is just to take a walk quickly a flyover of the Bible. So where do we start with the Bible? Genesis chapter 1. Very beginning. Nothing is existing except this mass of darkness. And God speaks. And the word of God brings life where there is no life. So God, by, very, by his very speaking, by speaking his word, things come into being. Whether it is light, whether it's day, night, sun, moon, stars, sea, dry land, from God speaking. Then we get to chapter 3 of Genesis and Adam and Eve willfully choose their own way rather than God's way, and they have to live with the guilt and the shame of the curse of disobeying God. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says to them, you will crush the serpent's head, and the serpent will bruise your heel. And God, by his word, gives them hope that things will not always be this way. They'll not always be subject to that serpent of sin that tends to bite at us and drag us and take us with its poison to places that we don't want to go. It won't always be that way. In chapter 12 of Genesis, God speaks to Abraham and literally calls him out to form a people. The people of God were formed by God's word. When he says, come, I will take you to a place that I will show you when you get there. They get there, they begin to grow, they multiply, they are a huge clan, they go down to Egypt, they're enslaved there, they live there for four centuries as slaves, and then one day God begins to talk to a man by the name of Moses, and we a few weeks ago talked about Exodus chapter 3 and the burning bush, and it's so fun to watch and read commentaries about the burning bush, and you'll have these, these uh, very conservative, very Bible-believing talking about the, how there was this flame the, 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 by the work of God the, the bush was able to flame up and, 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 and it did not consume, it did not burn it continued to burn and, and the liberal theologians come over here and say no it really wasn't that what it was, it was a, a bush that had bright orange leaves and the sun was shining on it it looked like it was burning and he goes you're a heretic, he goes you're a legalist and I want to just stop and say wait, it really doesn't matter <laughs> what matters is God spoke from the bush that's the important part of the story not what the bush was made of. I'm sure that's an important point. But what's critical is that God spoke to Moses and brought the people to freedom. You get to Exodus chapter 20. They've come out of 
Egypt. And now they're in the wilderness and they go at Mount Sinai where God had promised they would meet with him. And God again speaks and gives them his law, gives them his word, gives them his instructions so they can live in relationship with him. Time goes on and the people begin to form a nation and we get to 1 Kings chapter 18 and it says, after a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. It's interesting That phrase, word of the Lord, is used over 3,800 times in the Old Testament. Almost 4,000 times it says the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to them. The word of the Lord was spoken to them. And so we see that God's word leads his people where he wants them to go. The word of God in the Old Testament was the means of faith. It was like that letter from Tim from Vietnam. It was the way of knowing him in a personal way. Now, it was only a secondary object of faith. Their primary faith was in God himself. But God became known to them and through them to us by way of his word. By way of his word. And then we come to this wonderful passage in Ezekiel, chapter 37. The story of a valley full of dry bones. This is every, just about every preacher's favorite passage. Let's read it, okay? Exodus chapter, I mean Ezekiel, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 37. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley and they were very dry. Then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I replied, Lord God, only you know. Good answer, Ezekiel. He says, I have no idea, God. This is your party, not mine. And you wonder what God is going to tell him to do next. Go get some water and sprinkle water on these bones. Or go and get some mud and slather mud on these bones. But what does he tell him to do? Verse 4, he said to me, prophesy, which is the same word in the Hebrew as the word preach. Preach concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am God. Now, if you had been Ezekiel, this is not a fairy tale. This is not some kind of Jack and the Beanstalk story. This is something that happened. Now, whether it was a vision or reality, that we don't know. It could have been a vision, but the bottom line is, if I'd been Ezekiel, I would have said, "Um, would you go over that one more time? These are just bones. They're not even skeletons. They're just bones, and you want me to preach, but not Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a better man than me. So Ezekiel began preaching. Turn in your Bibles, he would say, you know, to the book of Exodus chapter 20 or whatever, and began to preach. And all of a sudden, as he began to preach God's word, what happened to those bones? They started coming together. Look at verse 7. So I prophesied, I preached as I had been commanded. And while I was preaching, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew. Skin covered them. But there was still no breath in them. You get the picture? The speaking of the word of God began to bring life into those people. Now here's what the Lord showed me just this morning. But the job wasn't done yet because they still weren't alive. They were just all standing. They all had skin. They had hair. They had eyes, teeth, hands, fingernails. They were just standing there, but they're still dead. So what does he say? 
in verse 9. Prophesy to the breath. And if you have a footnote, if you're using the Holman, there's a footnote there that says that word also means wind or spirit. The word in the Hebrew is ruach. And ruach can mean, can mean the wind that blows through the trees. It can mean the spirit. It can mean breath. He said, speak to the breath, to the wind, to the spirit. And prophesy and say to it this is what the lord says breath come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded me the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet a vast army you see just preaching the word and the power of the preacher can begin to help link things together in your life but it won't come alive for you until god's holy spirit makes it alive and so this morning as the Lord revealed that, in a sense, I don't know if real is the right word, but as it dawned on me or he dawned it on me, I stopped, put my, all my notes down, and I said, Lord, I have failed because I've never really prayed sincerely for your spirit to enliven what I say so that these people can come alive. I trust God's spirit to work in your hearts. I don't understand that. But the bottom line is, I could be a brilliant scholar of this word, which I am not, but I could be, and you would say, wow, I had no idea that's what that verb meant. I had no idea that's what that, where that phrase came from. But you know what? It wouldn't register with you unless the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, comes in and breathes into that, and then it comes to life in you. So look at what he says in verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say our bones are dried up, our hope is perished, we are cut off. Therefore, preach and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am Yahweh, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up. And he didn't mean their literal graves. He meant their spiritual. They thought they were spiritually dead. And God speaks and brings life. Jesus did the same thing when he was here in Mark chapter 7. Wonderful passage. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is working with a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. In verse 32, it says they brought him a deaf man who also had a speech difficulty and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd privately. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephaphtha, which means to be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his speech difficulty was removed, and he began to speak clearly. There's one burning question in those verses. Did Jesus have to speak in order to heal this man? It's a yes or no question. No, of course he didn't. He could just, remember Jairus' daughter? He could just wave his hand. He didn't have to wave his hand. He could just willed it to be. But there was something about the power of the spoken word. And so he spoke to a man who couldn't hear. Guess where I was about 40 years ago? I was a blind, deaf young man, and God spoke, and my ears were opened and my eyes were opened, and I could see and hear and understand that I needed a Savior. I could not save myself. No matter how smart I was, no matter how many A's I got, no matter how well I played in the band, no matter what, no matter how many times I obeyed my mother and got a little pat from her on my head, I, hair back then, I would not be able to be alive until Jesus spoke into my life, the words of life. It's interesting 
that Jesus chose to speak because back in Mark chapter 1, he says in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, he says they want him to stay in the village and continue teaching and, and, and ministering to him. And he says when evening came, the, the sun had set. And very early the next morning while it was dark, he got up, went out, made his way and was praying. And they came to him and said, you need to come back. The people are looking for you. And he said, let's verse 39 or 38, excuse me, let's go on to the name of your villages so that I may do what? Preach there too. This is why I have come. Now, we know that Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for the sins that we could not pay for ourselves. But in order for people to understand what his death meant, he had to preach. He had to talk. He had to teach them so that they could understand what was going on in their life. In Acts chapter 2, Peter and the disciples come together on the day of Pentecost. As they are preaching God's word, the Holy Spirit comes on them and 3,000 people come to Christ. And don't get stuck on the number. Don't get stuck on the number. The bottom line was those that heard responded. They were brought to life by the spoken word of God. See, a lot of times God acts first, and then he speaks to explain. Holy Spirit came first, and the people said, these people must be drunk. And then Peter began to preach and explain what was going on, and then they came to life in Christ. Sometimes God acts in our lives first, and then his word explains to us what that means. I have more to say about that, but I'm going to have to move on. The second thing is, what is the central role of the Word of God in preaching? If God's Word brings life to God's people, if God's Word brings life to dead people, if God's Word brings life to things where we think there is no life, then what role does that play in what we do in this room? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there's a passage, actually verses, I mean chapter 11 through 14, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about what makes a good church, what makes a strong church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, in verse 26, he says these words. At the very end of this whole discussion, he says, all things, after he's, talking about, he's been talking about speaking in tongues, he's been talking about the gifts of love, he's been talking about all these things, and he says, all things must be done for edification or for building up. In other words, he says, everything that is done in the life of the church should be done to build up the body of Christ so that they then can go out and be witnesses into a lost world about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so if that's the case, what kind of preaching should be done? Should we just talk about what's going on with ISIS in the Middle East? Should we spend our time concerning about what's going to happen in about, what, mm, 16, 17 months when we elect a new president? Should we spend our time thinking about gun control laws and talking about that? Should we talk about even moral issues of the day, which are very important that we understand what the Bible says about them? I believe the best way to edify the church is to take God's Word, open up, and let Him speak to us. What does He have to say? So, I want to say this. This is a good point for me to make this comment. If God will allow me, and you will affirm God's allowance by affirming my presence here with you, beginning the first Sunday in June, for the next 10 years, I will do nothing but open God's Word and preach chapter by chapter, in some cases verse by verse. Very, very few exceptions. Probably not more than 8 or 10 exceptions per year for very special times. And over 10 years, you will hear from every one of the books of the Bible. Now, you know as well as I can, I do, there's no way in 520 sermons I can preach every single verse. So then you may have to decide, let me stay on 10 more, okay? But we'll just take it 10 years at a time, okay? That's what you don't know how old I am, okay? <laughs> I'm really not 81, I just look it. I'm really only 55, but that's okay. I'm a Baptist preacher, what do you expect me to look like? Um, 
Seriously, seriously. And I mean this with all my heart. I took this quarter to do some topical preaching. I'm not going to do that anymore. Maybe one, maybe two sermons, unless God just really hits me upside the head. My plan is, starting with 1 John and the first Sunday in June, we're going to go through the Bible. Now, we've already kind of got a head start. We've already done Hebrews and Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So those are kind of already off the chart, okay? But then we're going to get into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then into Revelation, and then into Genesis, and then into Luke a little bit, I think it's no Acts, and then we're going to go on from there, okay? That's another reason why I've asked you in your Bible study groups to move from a topical type of Bible study, which is what Bible, uh, BSFL is, Bible Studies for Life, great Bible studies, but they're very topically oriented over to explore the Bible, because that way you can dig down deeper into God's Word from the same book that I'll be preaching from. So every Sunday for three months, we'll be in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation together as a family, youth through adults, in most classes, if not all of our classes. And that's why we do that. By the way, I'm complaining about the temperature. I guess I can't do anything about that. Okay. You see, unfortunately, not all preaching is biblical. There's a lot of preaching, and, and, and I have heard some, and unfortunately, when I was younger, I was involved in some, where we would take some kind of a spiritual theme and then just kind of create some thoughts on it. But that's not what God wants us to do. You remember when we studied Nehemiah a few months ago, in Nehemiah chapter 8? When Ezra stood up and it says that he read the word of God and then the Levites were out there among the people explaining to them what God's word meant in their lives. Because what was said back in Deuteronomy when Moses and the children of Israel were in the wilderness was a radically different life and time than what was going on with these people who had come back home from Babylon and were living in Jerusalem again and rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the temple. And yet the word of God had not changed. And so they needed it to be explained so they would understand what does this mean to us today. Number three, what is the central role of the Word of God in sanctifying? You see, the Bible brings life. The Word of God brings life, but it does more than that. It continues to change us and mold us and shape us into the people that God wants us to be. You remember in John chapter 17 when Jesus had his high priestly prayer, he said in his prayer to the Father, sanctify them, meaning the disciples and through them to us, sanctify them by the truth. And you remember what the next phrase is? Your word is truth. And so the way that we're going to be sanctified, the way that we're going to be formed into the image of Christ, the way we're going to be formed in holy living is by listening to what God's word has to say. I'm not going to get off on this topic. We'll wait till we get to it in the scripture. We will when we get to 1 Timothy. People often ask me, oh, I know why you Baptists don't believe in drinking. Because it's part of your tradition. You're from the South. In the South, people don't drink as much as they do up here in the Midwest. And that's why you believe in that, because that's just your tradition. No, it's not. The reason we believe that you shouldn't drink is because the Bible says you should not be fooled by that in your life. So for us, for me at least, for this pastor, it's a biblical issue. Now, if we want to debate about moderation versus that, we can talk about that. But the bottom line is, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, when, when Paul is giving the qualifications for deacons and leaders, he said, you should be wineless. That's what the word temperate means, literally in the Greek. So that's just one example. We say, look, we're not going to talk about what is culturally appropriate. We're not going to talk about what is, what is hip and what is cool and what's going to look good and sound good. We're going to say, what does the Bible say? on tough issues as well as on the wonderful affirming things that shape us into God's image. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul makes this comment 
In chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, he's talking about husbands and their wives and how that's a picture of their love is a picture of the, of the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. It's the word of God that Christ uses to wash his church, to cleanse his church, to make them into the people that he would have them to be. Last thing, and I'll be done. What is the role of the preacher? Well, I think the best way to answer that question is to talk about a preacher that we know about in the Bible, and that was the young man, Timothy. Timothy became the pastor of the church at Ephesus, a very well-established church, a very strong church, but a church was having some very serious problems with leadership. And Timothy was a young pastor, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, Timothy, I charge you. In other words, I challenge you, I instruct you, I give you this command. Take a survey and find out what your congregation would like for you to do, right? Oh, he said, form a study committee and let the committee determine what would be best. No? I see, what, what, what did he, what did he? Oh, oh, spend your time going out house to house visiting folks and seeing if you can get them excited about no, that's not what he says. It, read a good book. That'll help you. He said, Timothy, I charge you before the Lord. Preach the word. That's the role of the preacher. The role of the pastor is to take God's word and open it. Now, those other things are all important. I need to read and hear what other people have to say. I need to spend my time out visiting in the community and with you. I, you know, those other things are important, but the primary role that Paul told this pastor, this young pastor that he had nurtured and brought up, he said, listen, Timothy, if you want to see your church thrive, you need to preach the word. I know it's old-fashioned. I know it's ancient. I know people say, you know what, that's not hip anymore. That's not the way we do things. Now, this is where I'm going to just, just step down off the platform in just a minute and just talk to you for just a second because we're already done and we need to go. It's all Daryl's fault. Um, no, it's not Daryl's fault. Wherever you are, Daryl, it's not your fault. Seriously, I am not saying that we don't need to be constantly looking at ways that we can engage a new generation in a way that they will hear what we have to say. I'm not saying that at all. I think Life Tree Cafe, I think we have just begun to barely touch the surface of what Life Tree Cafe could help us do in this community. First thing we got to do is get out of the, not get it out of the beacon, we got to move beyond the beacon. I think the beacon is a great place. But it's still our property, it's still our turf. And so for a person who does not have a relationship with Christ, they still feel like, yeah, so when are they going to lock the doors and not let me out unless I agree? You know, and we don't do that, but it's hard to convince people of that. I'm not saying that we don't need to find new ways to relate to people, but in the end, the bottom line is coming together to hear what is God's word saying to us as his people so that we together and separately can, can obey in thankful obedience what God has to say. And so I will tell you, as long as you allow me under God's leadership, to serve as your pastor. The central thing we will do when we worship is hear the word of God explained. I'm all for talk back times after the service. Some of you will remember a few years ago when we were, when we were preaching on uh, Baptist, basic Baptist beliefs, what we believe, we had a really nice talk back time in second service. And sometimes we'd be here an extra 10, 15, 20 minutes afterwards with questions that were, that were, that were messaged to me, texted to me during the message. And talk about some of those. Nothing wrong with that. 
But we're not going to turn our sermons into dialogues. We're not going to turn them into skits. Now, that doesn't mean I might not sometimes dress up as, you know, Abraham or Nehemiah as, as part of the way to, to teach the Word. But we're still going to go to the Word and what does the Word have to say. You want to see a healthy church, then we need to be faithfully committed to placing God's Word at the center of everything we do. And not just in this building, but in our lives as well. Is Scripture central? Well, of course it's central, Pastor. Why would you even ask me that question? Well, now, you know, I don't want to, I'm not trying to lay guilt trips off, but we've got to ask ourselves, if it's so central, what, what percentage of our life does it play in compared to that novel that we're reading or that TV show that we're watching or those other things that we're doing that are all fine things, but have they become more important? When we have to make a decision in our lives, do we rely more on what God's Word says or what our friends say or what our intuition tells us? We spend more time in prayer or more times in just having little group discussions. How are we, how are we looking at our lives? How, what is governing the way we live our lives? If it's not God's word, the best way for it to begin to be God's word is to have it in your heart and in your mind. And for some of us, that means memorizing God's word, reciting it over to ourselves. For some of us, it's just reading that we're familiar with what it says, the truths it teaches I had you finish a couple of sentences. You probably didn't know the exact scripture passage, but you pretty well knew what the word was I was looking for because it was on the tip of your tongue because you've heard it enough. And as you listen to God's word, as you read it over, as you meditate on it, do you have to read through the Bible once a year, every year for the next 45 years? No. Beginning the first Sunday in June, we're going to read every single word of the 66 books, every word over the next 10 years. There will be a time for the public reading of scripture in our worship services. And we'll pace it based on the length of what it is we're working on right then. Probably a little slower in the New Testament, a little bit longer in the Old Testament at times. But we need to be listening to it so we're familiar with what it says. And so that's going to be a part of who we are. But what you have to decide right now as we get ready to go to Bible study is how much is God's Word central in my life, in my personal life? And what do I need to do to make it more central? Only you and the Holy Spirit can answer that question. But I've got to tell you, you will not be strong. You will not have your eyes open and your ears unstopped until you let God speak to you by His Spirit through His Word. You can know all kinds of things. You can go to every Bible study, listen to everything on bot radio, backwards and forwards, and won't mean a thing unless God's Holy Spirit is working. So it begins with, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know Him in a personal way? Have you surrendered your life to Him and his offer of giving you what you cannot earn for yourself, and that is release from the guilt of your sin, the separation from God. You see, every one of us lives the Adam and Eve story. Every one of us, at one point in our lives, said, I know better than God does what's best for me. And we walked away from God at that point. And now he says, I want to bridge that gap and bring you back to me. But in order to do that, you have to accept that I know better than you do what's best for your life. And it begins by accepting what Jesus did on the cross. And then, as the Holy Spirit begins to enliven us, then we begin to understand things and, and see things in his word that take on all new kinds of new meanings. So in the next moment after we pray, we're going to sing together. A song that you may, some of you may be familiar with, some of you may not be. I'm not really concerned about that. I'm really more concerned with what you're going to do on the inside as that song is being sung. What kind of commitment are you willing to make to become stronger and deeper in your understanding of the Scriptures and what God's Word says, because that is central to who we are. It needs to be central to who you are. What will you do? 
You may want to come down here and just pray and say, Lord, you know what? I love your word, but I don't study it like I should. I don't read it like I should. I don't think about it during my day like I should. I need your help. Some of us may need to come and say, you know what, Lord? I'm so far away from you. I don't even think I know where my Bible is. I'm sure it's on a shelf somewhere at home, and I need to pull it out and begin letting it speak to me, letting you speak to me through it. For some of us, we just need to fall back in love again with the book that led us to Christ. Whatever you need to do, we're going to pray and then we're going to sing and you'll have a chance to respond. Either right where you're going to be standing, here at the altar, I'll pray with you. There are deacons that will pray with you. Whatever you need to do, let's do it, okay, before we leave. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the patience of these people. Uh, this is a, a tough message to get into one sermon. But I believe it is central. Father, I'm not convinced that we can really do anything else right if we don't get this right. If we don't make absolutely certain that your word is at the core of our lives and the core of our church, the other things that we're going to be talking about over the next two years, if we do them at all, will just be by pure chance, by your grace. But if we can get your word central and it can speak to us, if you can speak to us through it, then we'll be able to see these other things happen. So right now in this moment, Father, your spirit is speaking, as Daryl said so clearly earlier, you speak in different ways, different ones of us. Some of us are absolutely in love with your word, but we have a spouse or a child or a parent or a loved one or a neighbor or a friend or a coworker who does not know you or knows you but has wandered away from you, and we're burdened for them. Others of us have enough of our own burdens to carry. Whatever it is, Father, we need to do in these next few minutes, may we do it. May we respond in a way that's pleasing to you and surrender and submission to you and to your word. Of course, in Jesus' name we ask it.